Hi, I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, it's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Crossroads wires which is taking place in some really amazing venues across Sheffield from the 31st of May to the 2nd of June. So other podcasters that you'll be able to see include Katie Price, Catherine Ryan, Ramesh Ranganathan and the original Adam Buxton. But there's also a whole host of free fringe events, family shows, surprise acts and after parties that Jane and I haven't yet been invited to. I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information. Hello, welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. Back and ready for a brand new season. All the thrills, spills and, and passive aggressiveness that I think a top flight football podcast needs. Um, add to that a sprinkling, though, of some quality journalism from The Times. And you've got exactly what you need uh, heading into the brand new campaign. I, as you can probably hear, am not Natalie Sawyer. My name's Hugh Wisencroft and I'll be with you. Uh, for the next nine or ten months or so as we take you through another important season in terms of professional football. And once again, I think as we noticed after lockdown, a particularly you know unique experience in terms of football. Hopefully by the end of this season, you'll all be back inside your grounds watching your favourite team once again. In the meantime, we will be keeping you right up to date. And today with me, Gregor Robertson, Alison Rudd and Tom Clark. We've got a Bumper edition to start the season off. Guys, how are you doing? Well, Hugh, I, I'm very pleased to be invited, given my name is neither Pew, nor Barney, nor McGrew. Maybe we should all call ourselves that. <laughs> well, I'll have to call Tom and Gregory the Cuthbert or Dibble. They can choose. Up to them. Def- definitely Dibble for me. Absolutely nailed it. <laughs> welcome, Hugh. It seems strange to say welcome uh, when we're all sitting in our spare bedroom still, but good to have you. Great to have you on board here. Thank you, thank you. And I can safely say that everyone's gone for basically the off-white in terms of their living room, so it's pretty plain screen. None of us are, seem to be interior design geniuses, but there you go. Maybe that's just the style at the moment. Um, look, lots for us to talk about as we go into the start of the new season, of course. Anyone that watched the England matches, then definitely, I guess, their appetite has been whetted for the start of this season. They can't wait for it to begin after those two magical games. We're going to leave the chat about England behind. Plenty of conjecture, uh, I'm sure, to come throughout this term. But later on, I think we'll talk about our feelings as, as professionals going into the new season. Anyone got any particular feeling, though, as a fan heading into this, this season? I must confess, as a fan, I'm a little bit jaded. I mean, I, I support a team in League One and obviously we haven't played for a while and I watched us in the uh, Carabao Cup at the weekend and I hadn't quite realised how difficult it is to watch without fans and without that level of atmosphere. Even watching on this, you know, the I follow and all that kind of stuff, it, it, I found it really difficult and I found it a very subdued experience. So I, I don't know whether it's the professional side of things and having following football obsessively all the time has factored into it, but I, I, I can't quite believe there's a new season here 
and ready to go again. I, I, I would quite, you know, I'm really missing a couple of months of cricket and pretending pretending that football doesn't exist, at least for a few weeks. So I, I, I hope that, you know, being alongside you three is going to really lift my spirits over the next hour or so. <laughs> and by the end of the by the end of the podcast, I'll be I'll be absolutely mad for the new season and really excited again. But I must confess, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit right now. I had a little break, got away from things. I think that helped slightly because one of the things, one of the surprises, I guess, was the news earlier this week that all the games in September are going to be televised. That means, of course, they'll be spread out once again on virtually every night of the weekend. So in terms of our professional lives, we're not going to get much of a break, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. One of the things um, that really thinking about this new season, looking ahead to the first weekend, a big game for many people, tea time on Saturday, Leeds United back in the Premier League after 16 years away. They're taking on the Premier League champions in the shape of Liverpool. So one of those great curtain raiser type fixtures, of course, there won't be fans there. And I think that takes an element away from it. But really, the thing that's disturbed me slightly is the reaction to Leeds United being back into the Premier League. They, they, they're getting such a fanfare. It, it, and it's like, you know, it's one of those things where I think, yeah, it's great. They're back. They're a big club. They've got a great history. How poignant in the year that uh, we've lost Jack Charlton. We've lost Norman Hunter as well for their club and their fans. But you'd think, I mean, you would think that it, it, it's like a Barcelona level club, you know, it's one of the great names. And, and maybe it's just me being a younger person. I, I just don't see it. And I, I think they're a great football team. But the fanfare, I think, has been a little bit over the top. No, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way there, Hugh, because it's, it's as if by virtue of winning promotion, they have become a different entity also. People say things like, oh, I can't wait to see a Bielsa team in the Premier League as if it's going to be radically different from a Bielsa team in the championship. There's no logic to that at all. And if he was to uh, redefine Leeds simply because they've entered the Premier League, they would they would just fall, fall out of it because the only way Leeds are going to survive is if they stick to the principles that he's inculcated into them anyway. So why, why anyone thinks there's going to be some magical property to a Leeds in the Premier League? It's all about romance and history and... Uh, Premier League fixtures, they do not give one hoot for what your history is at all. And I, it's its utterly bizarre. Yes, it's very nice for Leeds fans. But let's remember that Leeds is a place where they do like their cricket and they do like their rugby and they, they really can cope. They have been coping OK without being in the Premier League. I wouldn't say they storm the championship either, would you? I think they there were plenty of periods where you thought they're going to... They're going to ruin this again. They're just, they, haven't, they haven't got the mental strength to see this campaign through. And I don't remember watching a Leeds game and being blown away by it. They're quite pragmatic. They're pragmatic. I, I have to come in here. I see. I think. I think part of it is actually a kind of superiority complex for the Premier League. So it's like there's a sense of discovery because Leeds United are now back in the Premier League, and you get to rediscover what Bielsa has done all over again. It's like. Sheffield he hasn't United. been in a cupboard. He hasn't been in a cupboard, though. I know, but he? the championship might as well be a cupboard to a lot of Premier League fans. <laughs> so it's like when Sheffield United. So I remember when they when they uh, they, they hammered Arsenal at, at at Bramall Lane, and there was like this huge reaction to Sheffield United and Chris Wilder and the fact that they can play good football and they've got a kind of unique system. That had been happening for three years beforehand. So I think part of it is to do with the kind of the imbalance between 
how people perceive the championship and the Premier League. And if, and if Bielsa can transport what the football the football he's been playing with Leeds United and do the same thing in the Premier League, that will be absolutely box office. Thank God you jumped in there, Gregor, because we were just about to alienate most Leeds fans <laughs> from ever listening to the game podcast. Hugh, that's a particularly bold move as an opening gambit as, you, <laughs> yeah, that's a- as a new lead man on the show. I mean, <laughs> they I, might be back in the championship soon. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it is an interesting point about Leeds. There is definitely this allure and aura around them, and I think it could it could almost count against them in a way because. There will be a lot of teams, a lot of those, you know, Sheffield United, Wolves, Everton's, West Ham's, who will be very, very keen in a similar way to when you play against a very top team, you know, in the same way that Liverpool will be the team to be to shot at this season. There'll be a lot of people quite keen to put Bielsa and Leeds back in their box, so to speak. And I think that might almost count against them in a way, in a way that perhaps if they had the fans and the allure and the mystique and all that would help them. I think they might actually struggle quite a lot this season. I I, I don't want to say they're going to get relegated, but I do genuinely think they'll be in a relegation scrap this season. Any ideas that they'll be challenging for Europe are are misguided for me. I think they've got a good young squad, um, but... There's a hell of it's a hell of a leap, and as I agree with Alison, they didn't they didn't storm the championship by any means. They finished on uh, 93 points. That's the same amount Brighton got in 2017 when they got promoted, and they didn't even win the championship last year. Norwich got 94 points, one point more. They obviously finished the, rock bottom of the Premier League, what, so it's it's going to be a rude it, awakening, Gregor. A lot is said about the way that Leeds play in this sort of, sort of swashbuckling, thrilling football going forward, but actually. That's built on a pre- on pretty solid foundations. Sometimes it's hard to know how that happens when you see the manner of the goals they concede because you know they play such risky football. They they often gift up the opposition opportunities, so they will be punished more in the Premier League. But they have a solid foundation as well. So I think uh, I think Leeds fans are right to be excited. Listen, it's not just Leeds fans that are excited, Gregor. <laughs> I've I've checked the odds. I've checked the odds, and I can't believe this. Outside of the traditional top six. The next favourites with the bookmakers to win the Premier League title, no less. A Leeds United ahead of Leicester, ahead of Wolves in the running. Now, if someone wants to answer this question, what on earth has the great British public been smoking here? <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's surely that's part of the point Gregor makes about the championship and where you have the combination of a team and a name like Leeds and Bielsa without actually maybe perhaps understanding what their squad is, how they play, who their players are. There's a, there's a lot of that with football fans, I think, where, you know, in the same way that Sheffield United didn't because they were, in you know, inverted commas, just Sheffield United. There's been this such hype around Leeds that I think without actually quite understanding what they're about, I think a lot of people would be surprised by the idea of, Gregor's just pointed out, that they're actually very solid at the back. They won quite a lot of games, 1-0 towards the end of last season. Um this idea that they play some kind of, you know, Liverpool-esque super attacking football, you know, they're a different version of Manchester City, you know, that's not quite true. It, it comes from almost a lack of knowledge rather than any kind of expert insight, I think, mm. personally. Also, we're in, with the season starting post-pandemic, if you like, we've got a new set of um, things to get our head around. And I would suggest that if if the pandemic hadn't happened and Leeds came up with their fan base and um, 
the way Ellen Road can be and their travelling support can be, they might have been swept along on this euphoria you've identified, Hugh, and it would have had an impact. I think Leeds coming up to silence and having to compete on level terms with no extra noise and no extra passion, I I can't see how that's an advantage for them at all. I think that I think that is going to be very tricky for a club that has as part of its history and the reason people are being so excited and positive about them is that is the romance of their support. So I don't I think it's a leveler, isn't it? More than more than the the, the than project restart was. This is going to be extra difficult for promoted clubs, particularly the ones who've, you know, just had that aura of what the fans do for them. I think one of the issues for Leeds is going to be a lack of goals. Um, I'll come to Patrick Bamford in a moment, but I also think people and the allure around Marcelo Bielsa is the fact that he's one of these cult legends. He's produced some sides that play fantastic football, but people forget the temperament of the man as well, especially in the top flight. The last few jobs, okay, Bill Bowie did a great job there, but Marseille, Lazio and Lille, there was conflict at Marseille with the people that run the club. Lazio, he lasted two days because they didn't sign the players that he wanted. There was conflict when he left Lille as well. Back in the top flight, you know, if he doesn't get the players that he needs for this Premier League season or feels that he needs for this Premier League season, after they weren't promoted in his first year, there was talk that he might walk away and, and leave as well. Certainly, if they hadn't come up this season, he would have left. So for me, it's the temperament of a manager who can they handle things with the pressure that Leeds United will have as a big perceived big club with the pressure of not winning every week, which I don't think they will be winning every week in, in the Premier League. So the pressure will be totally different. The atmosphere will be totally different at Leeds United this year. Will he last? I saw today Howard Wilkinson, who of course won the league, what, 92 with uh, Leeds United, um, saying that he was like the Frank Sinatra of football, Marcelo Bielsa. He can get them back to the top. He just has to do it his way. And I'm a bit like, you know, this romance around him as well in particular might count against them. I know he's got this, this allure, this draw to football fans, to many football fans. But I, I'm worried. I'm, put, I'm, put, I'm worried that it might implode. It might explode at Leeds United. I think I think we're too early to be getting worried about that. Personally, I think <laughs> the the it's all very possible. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the guy mm. is unpredictable. There's no two ways about it. But there is. You mentioned all those previous jobs. This is, there feels like something different at Leeds, and certainly Leeds would like you to believe that. There feels like a real kind of bond and connection, and you know. The Times had a, a video this week, and the, the the guy going around painting all the all the boxes and all you know, kind of doing the graffiti and stuff, and saying that Bales is the only guy apart from his dad and his brother that that he's in love with. You know, that's the kind of that's the kind of passion that Leeds fans and the connection they feel that they have with Bielsa. So all of that, you know, I think he feels something with them too. I don't think he would have taken the job, and I don't think he would have stayed through some of the some of the the troubles that he's had otherwise and also he feels that it's his job to improve the players he has and and he's done that he unquestionably he's done that so yes he's taken a huge step forward to play in the uh, step up sorry to play in the premier league with them um goals might be an issue uh, i certainly wouldn't want to rely on bamford but i believe that leeds uh, are right to be excited and i think that I think they will attack. There's no question they will attack it in the same same way. And we saw when they played Arsenal in the FA Cup. 
that they on their day and when they're at it, they're a match for any team because the intensity of their pressing and the way they play when they win it back, they're they're uh, they're good to watch. I think it's going to be a great great to watch them this year. Gregor, you know, this is the time of year for predictions. This is the time of the year, you know, little wagers with pals. You know, clearly Alice and I and Tom, we're worried about Leeds United and where they might finish. Are you prepared here to say you're confident that they'll minimum stay up? I'm confident they'll stay up, absolutely. I couldn't say the same about the other two teams promoted, but we'll, I'm sure we'll come to them. But I think Leeds, the way they play, you know, we, we when you look at how promoted teams often adapt the way that they play, you know, Fulham, Fulham dominated possession in the championship. Uh, I, I don't think they've, they're good enough to do that in the Premier League. I think Leeds are. So I think Leeds will, because of their kind of evangelical approach to the way that they play, um, I think that they will win enough games. He's been drawn in. They've caught him. He's one of the people that's put money on at the bookmakers as well. It's people like you, Gregor, ruining the odds for people like me. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Oh, something I wanted to do with you guys first week, looking ahead to the new season, was some hot takes, you know, not necessarily unpopular opinions, but things that we genuinely believe are going to happen this season um, that others clearly may not. I don't know who wants to start. Alison, maybe we should start with you. Um, in some way, I see Tom, Tom's, Tom's laughing before I've spoken, but I don't see the point of telling you something, Hugh, that, that, that is, uh, boring. So I will suggest that, I will suggest that I think this season, Chelsea will finish ahead of Manchester City. Oh, big shout. Massive shout because, there. Because, well, do you want to know why I think that, Hugh? Go ahead. Okay. Um... <laughs> I think, I think City are trapped now in a rather ugly version of Groundhog Day, where they, I think their exit from the Champions League this season was really embarrassing, and it's really easy for people who aren't connected to City to, to just write it off quickly. I think it was quite damaging, and then there was this sort of strange narrative that um, Lionel Messi might go to City, and that would that would solve all their problems with a wave of a magic wand. It would mean that Pep Guardiola would be reinvigorated and the, everything would be beautiful again. Well, that's not going to happen either. And you, if you look back at the way, the games that City lost last season, a lot of them were really rather strange and peculiar and teams are starting to get braver against City. And that, that is only going to increase. So the idea that it's going to be a title race between Liverpool and City, I don't think is, is nailed on as a fact at all. And then you've got Chelsea, who, you know, we're talking about the tradition of Leeds and we're going back 30 years. With Chelsea, you've got a tradition of, you know, virtually month by month, they, they, if they dip, they come back and they've spent a lot of money on players that every other team would covet and want. I think they're going to have a very exciting team. I think they're going to have a very unpredictable team. I think they're going to be very difficult to um, play against, to work out how to stop them, because I think you can move around their front six different positions it's going to be exciting i've decided i'm going to have faith in frank lampard ever since that moment in the quarterfinal where he hauled off three youngsters at half time yes he's got it so <laughs> let's let's assume chelsea are back in business roman abramovich spends the money expects results i think frank just about has what it takes to do it and i just i just think city are stuck in a rut tom 
I'm not. I, 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 I can see the points all about Manchester City, but I think I, I don't. I don't believe in Frank Lampard, um, <gasps> and I haven't for a while. I think tactically, he's not quite got it at that level, and he's under so much pressure now. I don't care how big a club hero you are to have spent that amount of money and signed the players that are so coveted, like Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, brought in experienced players as well, like Thiago Silva, who. I think at 36 might struggle in the Premier League. Um, I think they're under so much pressure, and I just don't think he's tactically adept. And you know, he's got the kind of wherewithal game management. I think too often last season we saw Chelsea supposedly in charge of games and throw it away. We saw games where they perhaps should have won, and they looked a bit clueless at times. They looked easy to stop as well. And I just, I, I just don't see him taking them on and I to be honest my hot take is partly on Lampard and also on uh, one of my favourites uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and I think that for both of them this might be their last seasons at their respective clubs because I just don't see that maybe they'll get a full season and then because they're club legends they'll be politely you know patted on the back and said thanks for everything you've gone as far as you can go and they won't be you know dumped midway through the season but I just don't see that either Solskjaer or Lampard having the uh, tactical knowledge and coaching ability to take their teams on from where they were last season um, and that's not to say they won't finish in the top four but I think they both need more than that now they've both had long enough They both, particularly Lampard has got the squad now you'd argue he's got as good a squad as any in the Premier League in terms of talent I just don't think he's got it to take them any further I don't, think you, can, I I don't think, think you can know that I, it's, it's funny, I can sort of slightly agree with what Alison's saying in that there, it's not an entirely happy situation at the Etihad, but last season was already a, a big dip for them and they still finished 15 points ahead of Chelsea. I don't think what they've done over the summer is enough to, to bridge that gap and I don't think City will be worse. So, you know, I, I, think, I think that Chelsea... I agree with Tom, really. I think that Chelsea despite all the, the riches that they're spending, I think really football at the elite level, at the very top level of the Premier League, it's about the system and the man in charge and how, they, how they're coached and how they're sent out to play. And there are big question marks about Frank Lampard in that regard for me still. And really that kind of will lead me on to my hot take, which is that this is going to be a massive turnaround from, uh, from last season. Any, any listeners that heard me berate Arsenal on a regular basis. But <laughs> what I saw in the last, in the, in the last few weeks of the, of the season, I think Arsenal have got real kind of cause for optimism. And I think they could perhaps make it into the top four. I think when they've, they've strengthened defensively, Gabriel uh, from Lille, who was, who was uh, hi- highly coveted, Saliba's back. Uh, Kieran Tierney's fit, and he made a huge impact at the end of last season. And Aubameyang, we're just hearing, uh, is, has signed his contract. That's enormous. So, um, but then t- following on, I think the, th- the man in the dugout is is what is going to kind of make the difference because our, what Arteta has done, you can see it. You can see, you can see his effect already on Arsenal and the way they play. And there's huge cause for optimism, I think, for Arsenal this season. The hot takes are flying out here. I'm just trying to dissect all of them, right? 
Um, firstly, just want to clarify, Alison, you, you, listen, your hot take was simply Chelsea finishing above Manchester City. I'm assuming you don't mean Chelsea will be fifth, City will be sixth. So that means that what you think, Chelsea, you think Chelsea are going to be top two champions? Where do you think they'll finish? Uh, I'm thinking Chelsea second, City third. Who does okay, that mean top, okay. Alison? One thing you think. will learn, Hugh, is that think. Liverpool will always be top. <laughs> In Alison's eyes, sorry. Well, listen, look, Manchester City are my favourites. You know, I think they'll finish above Liverpool this season. A lot like City last year, I just think... There is a mental fatigue and physical fatigue to play at that level for for over three seasons. You know, it's just so hard to stay at that level, not have a blip, not have it affect you. I know Liverpool haven't really freshened the squad in the way that their fans would have hoped for this summer. And, and City have moved to address at least the problem at centre-half, which they will probably try and add to as well on top of that. But... It's it's for me. It's just hard to look by them for the for really the Liverpool factor. I think once you've won everything like they have over the last few years, and the constant rumours around Will Seller and Mane stay, it's Firmino the right guy up front. You know all these little quirks are going to keep playing themselves out, and and I, you know, I just think the the pressure will tell. The depth at City, I think, is slightly better than at, at Liverpool and. I, I just find it hard to to think that a team that scores as many goals as Manchester City won't eventually stumble upon the title. If teams are stronger, Manchester United, Arsenal are stronger and Chelsea are stronger this year, then maybe you won't need 95 points to win the title either. And that will bring those two clubs closer together. What do you think, Tom? I think one thing that's interesting about all the things we're talking about is that perhaps it's going to be a much tighter title race this season than in last season, certainly. Because I think it's interesting how part of Alisson's point about Chelsea doing well is based on Manchester City not doing as well. Part of your point about Manchester City winning the title is based on Liverpool not doing as well. So I think, I, and I agree, there is certainly, I don't think, personally, I don't think signing Nathan Ake helps your centre-back problem whatsoever. I think he's a talented bloke, but I don't see him starting and solving any kind of crisis. Um, I, but I, I th- and I actually think Liverpool will be better. I think Liverpool won the title last season almost on the back of the momentum from the previous campaign. When I actually think they played better football, they were more exciting to watch. And it might, to go to my point about Solskjaer and Lampard, you caf- you cannot count against Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola in modern football. As Gregor said, it's about good coaching, and they are two of the best in the world. And you can put up the stars and youth, youthful exuberance of Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. But if you've got a guy who, you know, continually bottled it with Derby on the way to the playoffs in the championship as your manager, going up against Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola, you're not, you're, to me, you're not going to be able to take take over and get any better than third. I think, but I do think it will be a much tighter title race and a much tighter top four race going into this season. But I also noticed that Hugh, you haven't actually offered your own hot take, so you've just lobbed it out to us. Let us, you know, ruin our reputations, and you, you know, you're keeping quiet in terms of your own hot take. Well, I, I just wanted everyone to address all of the points before I eviscerated Gregor's view of Arsenal, <laughs> essentially. Although, to be honest, his take is probably a lot better than mine. Um, I don't think Arsenal are going to be top four, but I do think Spurs are going to sneak into the top four. And I know a lot of people will say that's utter claptrap but have you been won over by the documentary by the Jose show <laughs> I haven't I actually haven't seen the documentary so I haven't been won over by that but I looked at Tottenham at the end of last season one defeat in the last 
eight games. They conceded seven goals in the nine games after the lockdown and three of those came against Sheffield United. I don't think they're going to be a team that we particularly want to watch, but I feel like what they have in their squads is the basis. Bear with me on this, okay? Bear with me on this. (laughs) If you look at Jose Mourinho's team at Inter Milan, now clearly that was a much more talented individually you know, team throughout the squad, you know, the likes of Milito, the likes of Samuel Eto, Schneider, Cambiasso, and more Zanetti's, Lucio's for that matter. But actually, if you look at the bare bones of the Tottenham squad and you think, if you want to be a, a, a side in the Premier League that entertains, that sparkles, have they got the squad for that? I don't think they do, to be perfectly honest. Do they have a squad that can, a bit like he did with the Inter squad, do the basics extremely well. And I think that is what he will be aiming to do, um, and which is why I don't think they'll be a great side to watch. But I think in Son, they've got a player that they can sort of mimic what they did with Samuel Etu with. Of course, Melito and Kane can fill the same role. I think Harry Winks could do what a Wesley Snyder did. Not to the same level, bear this in mind. I'm not saying they're going to win a treble. I'm just saying, can he be effective? I think he can. Hoiberg's there to be a bit of a Cambiasso, Thiago Motta character in central midfield. Do a lot of running. Lacelso's there as a bit of a Stankovic. You can do, in my opinion, more than one thing. You've got Bergwijn, you've got Mora to play out wide one side. The likes of Indombele, not been great, to be perfectly honest. Sozoko, Lamella to sort of supplement that. I think they do need another striker in their squad, uh, to be perfectly honest. The biggest issue is the defence, really, and they haven't defended that badly. So I, I think he's brought players into the squad in the shape of Matt Doherty, for example, and Hoiber, who are just going to follow his instructions. And I think that's something that Jose Mourinho's always needed, a squad of players who his word is gospel. I don't think he had that at Manchester United. I think there were too many doubts from the players within the squad over how things should be done. Um, and he, he, we knew the fallouts that happened when Paul Pogba spoke publicly about wanting to be more attacking reports were that other players in the squad had asked him to do that. I don't think he's going to have that at Tottenham Hotspur at the moment. I think he's got a pretty devout bunch of followers there. Um, and so I just think they're going to be hard to beat. And if Harry Kane stays fit and eventually he might stay fit for for, for a season, um, that I think they've still got one of the best strikers in football. And, it, you know, there is talent there. Um, it, it would just be so Jose-like to come back and show us all that he's a pretty good manager. So, they're my outside bet. Yes, it's a hot take. You know, you're talking about Arteta's managerial skills. Let, let Come on, guys. Let's be realistic here. <laughs> Jose versus Mikel Arteta. I mean, that would be a sea change for me if you think Arteta's a better manager than Jose. In fairness, it, as Jose always uh, regularly pointed out last season, I think if the season began when he arrived at Spurs, they would have finished fourth, I believe. So, you know, it, you, that's perfectly plausible. Um, I do think it's going to be tighter this year. I think Leicester looked like they could drop off a little bit. Wolves, well, I think Wolves will be up there again too. But I think it could be tighter, a tighter race for the for the top four. Uh, but personally, I I think that Mourinho's. You're talking about do Spurs have the the players in the squad to play sparkling football? They don't have the manager to play sparkling football. They don't have a manager who wants to play sparkling sparkling football. So I'm not saying he's a complete busted flush, but the way that Spurs and Jose Mourinho play long term and even in, in the medium term I don't think it's it's going to be good enough to to consist these challenge they might they might get into the top four but it wouldn't be any more than that our top four is looking a bit strange at the moment I think we've got Liverpool winning the league Chelsea second Man City 
third, Arsenal or Tottenham fourth. Let's be honest, predictions might not be our, our strong point this season. You never know. Just in terms of the bottom of the table, I know we mentioned Leeds United um, and we mentioned the two um, sides. I think West Brom and Fulham, I, th- I think they're going to go down. Having seen them in the championship last season, it's going to be a very tough year for them. Um, do you think the Premier League's tougher, generally speaking? We saw what Sheffield United did last year. Just generally speaking, coming up from the championship, I, I think some people feel that the Premier League and so certainly the bottom half and the top six of the championship, there isn't much of a difference. But then again, Norwich seemed to struggle last year. Well, they did struggle massively last year, having had a good season in the championship. Um, is it all about the, the the summer transfer window? Is it about the manager? What what makes the difference, do you think? Gregor, you've played. What do you think? I think I, I've not played in the Premier League, unfortunately. But, so I, but I think that the bottom half of the Premier League is essentially characterised by fear, fear of relegation. And the teams that have been successful have been brave. Sheffield United have done that. And I think Leeds will do that. I think Fulham... Fulham, uh, James Gearbrand, who Times writer, got in touch uh, yesterday. To, he's writing a tactical piece about Fulham, and he, in my opinion, having watched them in the Championship, and, and I, the the way that they beat Brentford in the final was so out of character in the fact that they they normally they, they had the most possession in the Championship. They normally sit back and they, they, sorry, they normally take the game to to the opposition. Whereas against Brentford, they sat back and soaked up the pressure, and they scored. They, they, they won the game on the break, apart from the, the set-piece Joe Bryan. So I think that Fulham instinctively will still want to go and dominate possession. That's what that's what Parker wants to do. And I don't think they're good enough to do that. So I think they will go down. And I think West Brom, uh, I think we'll basically see a similar team to uh, what Belich had at West Ham. I think they'll be fairly conservative and try and get the ball forward to their attacking players quickly. So I don't think... I don't think either of those teams are are good enough, essentially, to to make the step up. Um, I, but as I say, I think the teams who've been successful in, in the past are the ones who've been who've been brave enough to really kind of take it to the opposition rather than be so conservative and play with fear. Another team I think personally think is going to struggle this season, and I know they signed Ollie Watkins earlier this week, and the Villa fans pretty happy about that. Twenty-eight million rising to thirty-three million from Brentford. Joint top scorer with 26 goals in the championship last year. Um, but my major concern is, I think, Aston Villa. And this is one of the, the clubs that I think fall into it, a little bit of the ilk of, of Leeds United. Um, I, I think they'll go down this year, Aston Villa. Another prediction, maybe that's a hot take. I think, I think they sort of got away with it at the end of last season because of how they stayed up. There was a bit of romance there. People almost feel that Aston Villa should be a Premier League team. And in that case... There wasn't as much examination or scrutiny, I think, by the fact that they stayed up. But obviously, if that that ghost goal against Sheffield United actually counts having crossed the line, then it, we're talking about Bournemouth being in the Premier League next season and not Aston Villa. But I, was, I wasn't impressed by Dean Smith last year, to be perfectly honest. And if lockdown hadn't have come and Aston Villa's run had continued, he, may, he maybe would have lost his job before the end of the season. If they'd have gone down, he might have lost his job as well. So I think he's on to his pretty much third strike now. Um, but look, they've they've got the full season to try and prove themselves. But having seen even Ollie Watkins being added, I don't know if they're going to again have the goal threat they need to stay in, in the Premier League. And I, I, that's pretty negative for me to say about you know a brand new signing, twenty eight million pounds. But I didn't see enough of, of Ollie Watkins even scoring twenty six goals last year. That makes me feel 
he's going to be a guy that's going to score the goals to keep keep them in the league. Um, I think the last time Alexander Mitrovic was in the Premier League, he scored 11 goals. He got 34 in all competitions last year, 26 in the Championship, as well as Ollie Watkins. So how many goals do we think Ollie Watkins can score in the Premier League? What do you think, Alison? Well, I don't. I agree. I agree with every word you just said, Hugh. Weirdly, um, I think Watkins was part of a, a special dynamic at Brentford. It, it wasn't the Ollie Watkins show. It was just the way that they their front three operated together. I, 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 he's not a saviour sort of player. He's not going to come in and transform their front line at all. I think it'll take him a while to adjust to what Villa do. Villa stayed up basically apart because they they recognised. Um, that they had to work really hard on their defending, and they did, that you could see it. You you know you could see you'd almost see them scrunching up their noses and trying really hard to defend better, and they just did enough. <laughs> but I I I feel um, I think it could go probably one of two ways with Villa if they if they feel they've cracked the Premier League because they stayed up on the last day then they will go down because they did not crack the Premier League they got they got lucky as you said ghost goals and all and um, I, I, it'll take Watkins time to settle into the new system I'm not sure he he's quite quite the right fit for them um, again I think they're another team if you could if you could do a, a league of teams that will struggle with no fans I think they'd be in the top half of that league they they just sometimes need that extra push because they haven't quite got the quality and where's that extra push going to come from Dean Smith's absolutely superb bloke by the way he's really 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 fantastic guy but I I think he I think he probably lacks gravitas I don't I can't imagine him really losing his shit in the dressing room ever so (laughs) and they sometimes look like a team that really needed to be less pampered Found, found less excuses for and really made to work that little bit harder, probably. So, yeah, I agree with you, Hugh. Villa, Villa are one of my tips to go down, actually. Gregor, Tom, views on Villa? For me, on Villa, I, don't, I agree that Ollie Watkins isn't necessarily the saviour. One of the things that's interesting about Villa, and this only counts if Jack Grealish ends up staying, but one of the problems they had was that they kind of only had one talisman of any kind, uh, and it was Jack Grealish. And you could see in some games the pressure on him to make every single pass, touch, shot count. And I just wonder whether having someone else with a bit of creative ability, pace, threat running behind might help Grealish find some space on the edge of the box, Um, might take a bit of the pressure off him and might in turn help him play better. Obviously, if he ends up leaving, then uh, this is all out of the window. But you do wonder in the transfer market as it is whether he might end up staying for for at least um, some of the season. I think one one of my considerations for relegation are Brighton. Um, I didn't necessarily see anything last season with Graham Potter to suggest that whilst this big seismic shift away from how they played under Chris Hewton to this passing out from the back um, desire for possession football it, it's incredibly admirable and you know can when it works be great to watch but I didn't necessarily see anything to suggest that they're going to kick on this season and they to me they've not necessarily signed anyone that's going to be a game changer for them just go back to Gregor's point about Fulham and West Brom West Brom need goals if they were to find a striker or 
change the way of playing that could get them goals. I wonder whether they might be stubborn and solid enough to just stay up in a similar way to Villa did last season. Fulham are fascinating to me because it's almost the same thing we've got again as they had with Jukanovic about the way this way of playing in the Championship and then do you transpose that to the Premier League? I think Gregor's point about them being effective in the playoff final makes me wonder whether Scott Parker's got a bit about him to be a bit cuter with the way he plays and adapt in a better way because they've made some very clever signings Harrison Reed in midfield I think will be a very good addition for them he was brilliant in the playoff final um, Terrier-like in midfield uh, running around pinching the ball back it's very important to the way they play so I, I, I have my sneaking suspicion that perhaps Fulham might might just stay up um, and I, I think Brighton might struggle and I think Villa to me it depends on whether Jack Grealish stays and whether he can kind of you know come come good and find some space with the help of Ollie Watkins. Thank you, Tom, for being so kind about Fulham because you're. <laughs> I think you're spot on. Also, um, I think it, why not? Why don't we actually praise a club from learning from its mistakes? Fulham spent over a hundred million quid the last time they were promoted, killed the camaraderie. You had players coming out mid-season the last time they were in the Premier League saying no one cares enough it's just gone the the group dynamic has gone they were relegated scott parker has rebuilt it that's a hard thing to do and they've not they've not they've not gone huge with the signings this time they're going to be more sensible they're learning from their mistakes you say harrison reed's a great signing it's a great it's an obvious signing as well they're not trying to be clever you get yeah. a chap on loan he does well he wants to stay that was the key thing with fulham is that harrison reed wanted to stay it was down to him whether he stayed or stayed at Brighton or, or, or committed to Fulham. And the fact that he decided, yeah, I'm going to stay with Fulham is because he knows he knows he's going to play almost every game. He's integral. And it's it's a sign of a, of a really sensible transfer policy. And um, I spoke to Joe Bryan yesterday. Interview will be in The Times very soon. And I said to him, what, you know, if, if Fulham stay up, how will, it, how will you have stayed up? And he said, it'll be because we've got we have got a team spirit that we didn't have before. And there's something to be said for that sense. And he, he, he named Sheffield United and he felt it'll be because they imitate Sheffield United. They stick to their principles. They work incredibly hard, much harder than they did the last time they came up. And I think if, if you're going to, why not back a team that's going to learn from the mistakes it made? And they do seem a lot more grown up as, as an entity, as an organisation, than they did two years ago. And this season they've also got Virgil van Mike, of course. Big Michael Hector at the back. <laughs> well, he's been... He's, he's he was magnificent actually been, for them last season, yeah. He, he transformed them was, from January onwards. Yeah, ah, but he transformed the Gregor before he even played because he trained with Chelsea when he wasn't as he was with Chelsea and they allowed him to tra- train and hang out with Fulham when he wasn't allowed to play because they missed the transfer. And he was integral in, in making that camaraderie turnaround. He was a new face, uh, an imposing character, and he wasn't allowed to play, but he could he could go around saying, "Hey guys, you know what are you up to? What are you up to? Let's 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 push a bit harder here." And he was one of the key figures in, in turning around Fulham from being dysfunctional to highly functional. Well, Fulham are Fulham are very interesting. I think that you're right. They will they will be better a lot, but will be hard to be worse, of course. And I said after the playoff final, in fact, that I don't think I can't remember a manager's reputation being burnished quite as much after you know, one game of football because of the way he made a change. Because he was so, he's, 
Fulham were the team that dominated with the ball. They were so often slightly pedestrian with it. That's my problem with it still. I still think instinctively he wants to play that way. He thinks that's the way football should be played. He was a tidy midfielder. He wanted to keep the ball and play it side to side and then probe. And you know That's the way Fulham played. And I think he will still want to do that in the Premier League. I don't think they're good enough to do that. Uh, we'll see. So it could be a rude awakening. First game of the uh, new season. Fulham hosting Arsenal and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, no less. We'll see if Arsenal keep up their good form. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the other big games of the weekend, which again, we weren't planning to talk about though, Spurs against Everton. I know Everton are getting a lot of headlines uh, at the moment. The signings, James Rodriguez, Abdoulaye Decore come in as well. Good players at Everton. Hasn't right, really clicked underneath Carlo Ancelotti, who signed Alan from Napoli, another player like James Rodriguez that he's, he's been with before. So just on the hot takes, I, look, I'm really looking forward to seeing Everton this year, but I, I'm not going to predict anything for them. I'm not going to have a hot take for them because it could go one of two ways, I think. Any views on Everton? Where's really Gilfie? Get... Where's Gilfie going to <laughs> <laughs> Another thing you've got to learn about Alison Hughes is that as well as being an ardent Liverpool supporter, she arguably loves Gilfie Sigurdsson as much. So it's <laughs> something that you've got to factor in. I mean, I, I just, uh, I, I talked about Everton on a previous pod, so I won't, I won't whittle on too long. I just don't get it. I don't, I, I, every summer it's the same thing. I look at their kind of transfer activity in a way that we've just talked about Fulham and said that you know, successful clubs have a clear identity and plan and style of play and the transfers fit in with that. That's That, to me, is how a successful club works on and off the pitch. I look at Everton and go, what? How how on earth is that going to work? You know, I just I just don't see it, even with a manager with the pedigree of Carlo Ancelotti. I think 8th you know, to 10th, they should be happy with that. Maybe a cup run. Any delusions about Europe, not a chance for me. So I'll leave it there. Everton, on, Everton. on the fence. <laughs> Everton are now the club that sign fading stars, and that never bodes well. I mean, I think you know there has been a slight shift in Dukuri and Allen look like they could be tidy acquisitions. Um, Calvert Lewin came on leaps and bounds last season. I'm a huge fan of his. Um, and Ancelotti, I think there was sli- there were some kind of snooty attitudes towards him when he arrived. It was like he's always the guy who who puts the final shine on the on the team of Galacticos and and obviously Everton's a very different project, but he's no he's no fool. Um so I think Everton Everton will be kind of top half, but I agree, I think there's still kind of there's been a lot of money spent and spent very badly. So I think it's gonna take longer than one one summer transfer window for them to rectify that. Uh, and where's Gilfie going to play? <laughs> no one's answered no one no one's answered the key question. Where is Gilfie going to play? He's not going to. He's going to be James Rodriguez's backup in a position of number ten attacking midfielder that you know doesn't really exist that often in football anymore and doesn't shouldn't exist for a team like Everton, which is why they're going to finish eighth or tenth. <laughs> so 
Well, we'll see. We'll see how Everton do. That's the game I'm looking forward to most. So maybe on Monday we'll be dissecting a cracker between Spurs and Everton. And we pretty much summed up what we think is going to happen this season and, and going ahead into the first weekend. Plenty more, of course, we could talk about. There are changes on the way in the Premier League, though. I, I get the feeling we're going to talk about VAR quite a bit during the season. Uh, new rules, IFAB are taking control, FIFA generally taking control. We're going to basically see what we've seen in the World Cup and the Champions League. There will be issues over goalkeepers coming off the line and handballs as well, but we will cross that bridge when we come to it, and I'm sure we will come to it. But one other change, um, spoken about plenty in the news uh, this week, Premier League clubs replacing, and I know it was controversial for many people, replacing the Black Lives Matter slogan uh, on players' shirts. That should be replaced by the Premier League's own anti-racism campaign. No room for racism. The Premier League say it comes after consultation. The change this week in a meeting uh, put to the Premier League captains. Um, And we expect that to be confirmed uh, today, Thursday, if we're listening to it. I wonder what your views are on it. My personal feelings are it's quite sad that so many people, I think, have seen this organisation and some of the things that they've said as the same thing as the movement and just a belief that black lives matter. And I think there is a quite a distinct line that I think has by many been deliberately blurred. Um, what were your feelings at the time? Do you think players should have had black lives matter on the shirts? And what are your feelings now? Should they be getting rid of them? I think that we have to trust the players with this now. I think that um, I interviewed Wes Morgan, who is uh, a, a big figure in the in the BAM advisory group, um, big figure in the Premier League captains, and alongside Troy Deeney was was someone who who drove this forward. And I feel like the players re- recognised then that they have a lot of power. And it was their it was their decision and their kind of will to 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 support the the Black Lives Matter movement. So I think if it, if if it's if that's changing, if that's going to change, and and obviously the the support is not going to change. It's whether the symbolism changes. And there's a there's people were certain sections of media perhaps in particular were quick to grasp the kind of political baggage of the of of black lives matter their perception anyway and so i agree with you it's sad that those two things that seem to have to be divided but i still think that we can trust the players to to pick up the reins with this and not let them go and there will i'm sure there will be more and more uh support of this of this movement going forward this season whether or not the, the badges on the side of the ships i the, the part of the problem here for me is football was already integrated with a body called Kick It Out. Well, I don't, I do not see why the world of football had to jump to a different slogan and a different movement. It seemed to me just to be underlining the fact that all the mistakes that have been made in the past, and this was the perfect opportunity for Kick It Out to say we can we can take this on now. We've been struggling to get our voice heard. We've been struggling uh, well, on, in the political arena, mm. struggling. Why? This is the moment that we come to the fore because we're already part of the football family. You don't have to latch on to a political organisation. We are here now. I, can I, I, it seems can to I be quickly... yeah, yeah, please do. Sorry, I want I to know quickly... why. No, sorry, can I, can I quickly jump in and just ask uh, to clarify, when you're talking about moving slogans, do you mean moving from... 
uh, kick it out to Black Lives Matter or moving from kick it out to, sh- to no room for racism? Well, why, why have no room for racism when you've already got kick it out? Mm, I see. I don't, I don't. Are we now saying that slogans become boring? Is, is, the un- is the underlying point here that if you just had kick it out on the player shirts, people think, oh, I've seen that before. It's not very exciting. Do we need slogans? Do we do, do we keep do we keep needing new slogans to remind people of the issues here? I think that's patently ridiculous. I think one of the things was about control. It was about um, money and where it was being filtered. Whether that be to kick it out. Whether the Premier League, I think, wanted to control that element a little bit more themselves, and so they started no room for racism. And I think they will try and take that more under their control. But I think one of the issues is that kick it out and and no room for racism were very much anti-racism slogans whereas black lives matter i think was more about social injustice um and raising awareness around that so i I, and i think one of the reasons that i find it sort of disturbing is that they are they're two different things they're very clearly two different things and i think it's moving a, a campaign that was about social justice and equality into one that was about anti-racism so I, I found that I, f- I find that strange um but look you've got you've got a valid point there are there have been multiple slogans that has been show recent and red card as well um uh, do you think that they shouldn't be in football at all Alison no I I think they should but I think it's I just think it it, oh, it feels like most of what's happened has been governed by fear of looking bad as opposed to actually thinking about what's happening and what you really want. So I, my, my, I'm slightly sad that I think players have been kneeling before kickoff and wearing the different slogans because it just gives them an easy ride. I took part. No one can accuse me of having a, a racist bone in my body, and it, just, and it proves nothing that if, you, if, if for you to kneel down, it proves. It's nice, but it doesn't prove anything. And when you have grand gestures like this that become part of the norm, so you don't even think about what you're doing anymore. So you just drop to a knee, drop to one knee. Do you, do you really think about what you're doing? No, you're thinking about the, the, whist- the whistle's going to go in a minute and I've got to be ready to go. And you've, you've stopped. In a way, you're almost stopping a debate because everyone says, oh, they've all done the right thing. They've all shown solidarity under a slogan, whatever the slogan might be. And it's it's almost empty now because that that that, that doesn't save anyone from prejudice. I don't, think, the, I don't prejudice. think it was empty at all the first time we saw the players take the knee. Not, not the first was, time, but now, I, I now what does it mean? I agree, but the first time was important. And also, I, I'll reaffirm, I think we should trust the players. These players have, have taken it upon themselves to support this movement. And that was their choice, and they realised they have the power in the Premier League, despite all their sort of issues about the the, the, the political baggage that, that, that some people associate with Black Lives Matter. They had to support the players. And so now, whatever happens next, I feel the players will have had a major say in, and I think, I think we've got to trust them. Tom, what do you think? Uh, there was a part of me that thought this was more about marketing, branding, sponsorship from the Premier League's point of view, and um, sort of not wanting to be remotely associated with anything controversial. I think Alison's point about the slightly hollow nature of it as it as it has progressed, I can, I can see where that comes from. I would I think there's another point as well as the players and the power they have and the involvement 
that is important is the obviously there's no fans in the stadiums at the moment but I mean I personally have been in stadiums where comments have been made to either opposition uh, from fans about opposition players and even you know players on my own team at Lincoln players sat in the homestand which were essentially racist you know they were they weren't perhaps so overtly obviously racist but the 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 undertone and the uh, the points that were being made, should I say, screamed, were were essentially because a player was black, and uh, so I I can see where people are coming from if they say that oh this is, you know why do we need new things? Why do we need another campaign? But I do think back to those people, the the ignorance that comes from those comments that gets made, and think they do just need to be, you know, have it rammed down their throats a little bit, and because otherwise they're, they're, it's not in the forefront of their mind and they don't perhaps even consider or contemplate the things that they're saying might be racist or the the movements they're supporting might be racist so uh, you know to, to me you know I, I don't need to see a player take the knee to to you know never make a racist comment but there are a lot of football fans out there that do need these kind of movements rammed down their throat a little bit in order to kind of wake up and know that we're in a should be in a better society than that mm-hmm. and football should be better than that and because it, it's really not it's really not a lot mm. of the time when you go to some of these games do you guys see black lives matter as an anti-racism campaign i saw it as more of a a, a positive I, I think almost using the terms black lives rather than anti-racism i think mm. that was a big shift for me i obviously appreciate the political undercurrent that comes with that in terms of the movement and that detracted from it but I think just saying black lives matter to me felt a bit more positive in a way it felt like something a bit more progressive than no racism because you know everyone just goes oh no 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 we're not no one's racist here Uh, and as I say I have genuinely been in stadiums 2019 2018 where comments have been made where you know, I've taken my sister to games. She's twenty, twenty-one, and she's turned around and gone. Did that guy really just say that? Um, and it won't be something truly horrendous, but the comment will have been made that, in, you know, it, and the implication is that guy's rubbish because he's black. That guy's lazy because he's black. Um, mm. And she can see it because she's part of a perhaps more progressive society and a generation that's doesn't think like that but the guy who's 60 who sat two rows behind her who has said it doesn't un- perhaps doesn't understand what he's just said and what it means and the implications behind it so to me the black lives mattering uh, as a as an ideal felt a bit more positive way of saying to that guy come on mate you you what you're saying is wrong i i do think it sparked more conversation this year, I think we've had more conversation about it than we have ever had around the other campaigns. Now, maybe I think a lot of football fans would say because the the, the three words themselves, Black Lives Matter, for many people is a contentious phrase. And so we, we almost debated the phrase and whether it was a, an appropriate one for football and whether it was, in, in fact, the opposite of what it intended to do. In fact, it was non-inclusive. But I, I, I do think that put in, putting no room for racism on the shirts instead is a big step backwards, you know, and I know some people would say, well, at least, you know, they're recognizing an anti-racism campaign and it's their own anti-racism campaign. But I don't think saying no room for racism is is really about discussing 
societal issues. And I think Black Lives Matter was about discussing societal issues. But you could all you could all disagree, I guess. But why? Why? I mean, I feel like people are running before they've learned to walk on the issue. Why? Why is it down to football to bring up the broader ideal of you know race in society? When they when when they haven't even kicked it out of their own sport, I don't. But that's the, I, that's I, the size of their platform. That's the size of the platform that many of the players have, and some people would say it's a responsibility of the, the, those players to use their platform in a positive way like that. Well, I'm, I have nothing against the platform, and I think no room for racism sounds really really watered down. And uh, I mean, you know, if we're just talking purely in a slogan terms, it's pretty rubbish, mm. isn't it? I mean, I don't know. That's that's a slogan via committee, if ever I heard one. I prefer I prefer kick it out because it's more aggressive. It's a proper, you know, it's not it's not woolly at all, is it? Kick it out says stop it. Kick it out says stop it. It also says stop it in football. And this is what well, this is a football podcast, and we're talking about the game of football. And surely the priority is to stop racism in football, and then, and then hopefully, that seeps into wider society if it can do that, and stops racism in other realms of life. But to to go big on Black Lives Matter when Kick It Out has failed or is failing or hasn't done as well as we'd like, I think it we all got jumbled up. It all got jumbled up, and it was, you know, the the people who, the people who support supported. Black Lives Matter going on the shirt are not the people that need to be are not the people we need to reach you know intelligent right-minded people can have these intelligent grown-up conversations about the state of the world the people that Tom has met who shout out racist or ignorant comments at football matches they probably need something a bit more focused on football and what's happening in their football ground and what is and is not acceptable. And then maybe they'll learn from that and think, oh, when I'm down the shop, I mustn't think negatively about someone who bumped into me and they were black. And the first thing I thought was, oh, they're black. See, they also add that the EFL has a different sort of campaign, which is not today or any day. So, you know, it, it would be great if there was one kind of unifying uh, slogan or, or, or idea or phrase that, that everyone could get behind but that's sadly not the case and it isn't that's not the way the world works so um as i said i'll reiterate i think we have a, gen a generation of players that feel more that feel kind of empowered to speak on these issues and to take a lead in these issues and i would expect to see more of that in the future no matter what emblem is on the side of the, the strip i'm sure some players will let us know how they feel about it in the coming days. I'm just going to end on our feelings, our personal feelings then going into this season as well, because we touched on it at the start of the pod, you know, whether some people had a little bit of fatigue as, a, as fans, I think we said, but now as professionals, as journalists going into this season, um, you know, how are we feeling? Everyone ready, energised, good to go, first day back at school? <laughs> I'm scared, Hugh. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared this of the is, cold. This is not a COVID-19 related comment, is it? No, 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 no. Oh, because okay. been, I'd, really, I'd, re I'd really, really enjoyed far more than I thought I would going to stadiums. And there were actually truthfully times when I forgot they were empty because you're close enough to hear the managers yelling and some managers yell all through a game and some clubs mm -hmm. bring in enough, enough directors and people connected to the club to make a, a lot of noise. And you get completely 
worked up about the whole thing you're completely wrapped up in it and you you can forget there are no fans and it doesn't feel in emotional agony but um i went to the community shield at wembley it was cold it was raining wembley had made no effort to dress the stadium and of course as reporters you're not allowed inside so everyone the main topic of conversation amongst the reporters who were there was not oh um look at Mikel Arteta doing well it was oh my goodness what are we going to do on those cold wintry nights if we're still not allowed in the press room to get our hot soup you can't even dash in at half you can't even dash in at half time to rub your hands next to a radiator and you still have to stay outside after the game to do the manager's press conferences outside we are, I don't know how many layers I, I'm going to need to wear <laughs> not to physically seize up before I start typing. This is, a, this is the big worry. <laughs> Come to the game for the big issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many layers we need in the press box now? <laughs> I, I look forward to Alison's expenses going in with a brand new Parker coat, <laughs> top of the list. I, mean, I think I, you can get one that has a heater inside it now, by the way, as well. You press a button, it warms you up, so that could help. Go on, Tom. I want, I want one of them. I think as well, from an editing point of view, obviously Gregor and Alison are out and about and I'm sat in my cosy office, so I'll never be cold. But I think from an editing point of view, it does come back to the fans and the fans not being there because I'm I'm not ashamed to admit that you feed so much off fans and what their reaction is in terms of how we cover the game. You know, we hear, I've commissioned and worked on pieces based purely on a fan on Twitter or someone sharing something that was such a great story about going to a game, spotting some player. And I just worry that the further down the league, particularly, we unearthing those great gems of tales of, you know, hero, heroism and, you know, uh, battling against the odds whether we'll have that without the fan engagement being the same as it used to be. And I, 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 I'm, I'm a bit fearful in terms of the enthusiasm behind it because when we came out of lockdown and football started again in the Premier League and the Championship, it was this novel thing and battle to get it finished and everything was on telly and it was all a bit different and thank God there's some football on so that we can all stop doing quizzes all the time. And, you know, it became... The novelty factor helped us through it a little bit, I think, and we've now faced potentially, who knows, with the latest announcements about six people and all that kind of stuff, who knows what's going to happen with fans returning to grounds. It's, it feels like a long, long old season without football supporters being a part of it, and I think for our coverage that's going to be a real challenge. So perhaps I'll make this a plea to supporters out there across the land. If you're listening to the game podcast and you think we're missing things in terms of our coverage, uh, have a go at me on Twitter or any other social media um, or get in touch with one of us because I I just hope that the the feel of a football season um, is the same in in some way because fans are such a big part of it and and that goes for our coverage as well. Yeah, go on, Gregor. Yeah, I would kind of echo part of what Tom says in that the restart was a window of opportunity almost. That was how it was viewed and you thought, you know, if everyone does what they're told and, and can kind of knuckle down for the six-week window or whatever it was, we'll get through it, season's done, money's in the bank, we move on to the next one, who knows what the future holds. At the beginning of, some, of a full new season, something new, a new campaign, and just as this news has come as well, it's it's slightly daunting. I've, you know, and I'm I also have a bit of a fear for 
for for clubs lower down the pyramid. I mean, we've 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 already you know we've we've, we've seen we've heard that they've they're going to be facing some real hardship. Uh, already have faced a lot of hardship, and they are sort of really desperate for fans to to be allowed back in. And just as the as the as the pilot events were about to begin, it seems to be kind of being called back and halted a little bit. So I feel that there could be some real hardship further down the pyramid. And being, as someone who who covers that that beat on a on a on a weekly basis from a journeyman column, I think that the, you know it's going to be a season where there could be some sad stories, unfortunately. Still looking forward to it though, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I look forward to the football. That's the thing. The football is the escapism almost from all of that. And it still is. I think that's one thing, finally, I would also say is that, you know, we all had this, these worries about how football was going to be to watch, watching on the TV and watching with no fans. And it, it was still pretty damn good. I mean, the Champions League games were out of this world, weren't they? Um, and you could see it still meant so much to the players, despite there being no one, no one in the stand to celebrate with. So football as its own product is still uh, mm. still a pretty good sell. The thing is, we had bad games before, but they had fans in them and maybe we didn't react in the same way as we do now to seeing, to seeing a bad game with no fans. And then we suddenly go, this is rubbish. This is absolutely <laughs> awful. But I think it compounded it, but still looking forward with excitement to each and every weekend. Guys, thanks so much. And that was the first of many. Hopefully I don't get fired after the first one. I'll see you again on Monday. The game, of course, is out on Monday. We'll be reviewing the first big weekend of Premier League action. So many great games to look forward to. Maybe Fulham and uh, Leeds will get a thrashing on the first weekend. And we'll dissect that on Monday. We'll see. Uh, guys, thanks for being with us. 